The Field, a Terre des Hommes podcast. Stories from people committed to protecting children around the world. Hello everyone, my name is Angela. I'm 22 years old and a student from Bucharest. I'm a, a peer mentor for the Child and Youth Advisory Group. And today we are going to talk about restorative justice and we will discuss about it with Cecilia Popa. Hello, Cecilia, and thank you for joining us today. Could you introduce yourself, please? First of all, thank you very much for inviting me to be part of this podcast. I'm really looking forward to discussing about restorative justice. So this is Cecilia, and I have been involved with restorative justice and restorative practices for a few good years now. For over 12 years, I've been mainly working within the criminal justice system in different countries, furthering the prison re-entry efforts, addressing victims' needs, researching about restorative practices in conflict zones. And lately, I've been implementing the Budapest Convention on Cybercrime with the Council of Europe. mind sharing with our listeners more details about what is restorative justice? Certainly. So um, restorative justice is an approach to justice oriented towards repairing the harm caused by crime or conflict. Um, There are a few key elements to to such a practice. First of all, it involves active participation of all parties involved, from victims to offenders to family, friends, community members, and anyone really who is indirectly affected by what happened. Second of all, it's about the voluntary participation. It allows the parties to get involved on their own terms, at their own pace. Third aspect is that such encounters because normally we have more more than one encounter between parties, can take place with the help of a facilitator or mediator. It's a trained professional who helps parties to talk about the harm, but not just talk about the harm, talk about the consequences, and also, extremely important, identify means for moving forward. Because restorative justice, a main component of it is focusing on what can parties do in the future, how they can move on. Where can we find restorative justice? Right, so literally, restorative justice can be found in any context where there is a conflict, from the criminal justice system to schools to intrafamilial conflicts to neighborhoods and so on. This is because restorative justice has been proven to be useful for preventing uh, conflict. We can even find restorative practices in urban settings in cities suffering from differential conflictual situations, from different conflictual situations due to social differences, due to social backgrounds, ethnic disparities, cultural differences, and so on. So the applicability of restorative justice is really infinite. Thank you. Could you please share with us how it can help children? Absolutely. Um, Children and child victims in particular, regardless if you're talking about direct victims of a crime or children in conflict with the law, are entitled to exercise the right that considers their own capacities and needs. And this also applies to the right to access justice, the right to access restorative justice on that matter. Children often require special supports, special protection to avoid the risk of secondary victimization. And for this, restorative justice can provide a targeted service focusing on special needs, as well as the specificity of a crime or conflict 
but also restorative justice can provide an integrated approach with other disciplines and other services such as education, health, in order to focus on the social environment of the child, because this is extremely crucial. When we work with children, you're not only uniquely working with the child, but also with the entire system surrounding the child. That sounds great. For our listeners to be able to understand that better, could you share with us a, situ- a situation where restorative justice was used? Yes, I actually have a lot of examples to give, but I'll pick one for today's podcast. So I can talk about uh, a case in which two school students got in a fight that ended up quite badly. One of them was severely injured and ended up in a hospital in a coma. And he was in a coma for a f- few good months. And his mom was approached to be part of a restorative justice and initially she refused but then later when her boy her child got out of coma she agreed she agreed if she can um, if she was able to come with the boy and of course that was a huge component of being part in restored justice so they can all participate right remember the one of the key elements active participation right so that that was definitely a concept in, in here and during the joint meeting with everyone here just just to sure uh, mention that normally when we ended up to having a joint meeting it's preceding a lot of other in individual meetings with everyone, which is extremely important to build up to the point where you can bring everyone together. So during the joint meeting with everyone, which was, um, like I said, preceded by other, other individual meetings, she started, the mom started to showcase all of the pictures she took of her child while her son was in hospital in a coma. And the encounter was extremely emotional, extremely, extremely cathartic. It was her way and their way of the boy as well, wanted to showcase the aftermath of that fight that happened in school and what really meant for them, the struggles they have been through throughout the journey of being in a hospital, the suffering, the pain, and the entire meeting was, you know, very emotional and everyone started to cry. And that's one element of of a restorative encounter that allows everyone to see what happened through completely different eyes, really. Just to, for those who've been, you know, on the side of the victim, in a way, to ask questions, to showcase exactly what it meant for them. And for the other ones on the other side of the conflict, to realize the depth of what just happened and to recognize the, the results of their actions and even to make amends whenever possible. Thank you very much for sharing this. Could you please let us know what were the results on long term when using uh, restorative justice? Uh, Yeah, so as I said, the encounter was extremely emotional for both parties, um, particularly because they could express in a way that most probably they wouldn't have had the venue to do so, right? They showed high satisfaction rates for the process during the evaluation process. So normally after any restorative process, there there should be an evaluation part where you try to evaluate uh, how it was for, for the parties. And these evaluations, and also followed by follow-ups, you need to see if uh, how it helped everyone who's been in the process. The boy in particular, the boy um, who was in a coma, said that he had a lot of anger and a lot of pain. And the restorative process that he's been part of allowed him to heal, which is a huge component when it uh, when you talk about restorative justice. And he also said that he received answers to his questions that he wanted to ask. But if, he, as I said, if he wasn't for 
or this restorative justice encounter, he wouldn't have had the venue to ask the questions that he had, he wanted to ask. And as I mentioned in my my first question, restorative justice creates uh, a space where parties can think about the future, how it can, how the future can look like after the tragedy, after the conflict. And it really created space for them to go back to school because they were studying in the same classroom. So it allowed for them to find ways to go back to school and just, you know, live in the same space in the school and also just focusing on their life. It just allowed for the space for them to think about how my life is going to look like from, from now on. But I have another example. I think it's a very interesting one. So this example is about three teenagers who got in a fight. And unfortunately, one of them tragically died. They were drinking and then they, they got in a fight and one of them unfortunately died. And when restorative justice was offered to them, particularly for the teenagers who now they were, they, they were in a prison, they wanted to participate. But then the parents of the deceased one they didn't want to take part in the restorative justice at first. But then eventually they agreed. They said, we will agree to meet with the youngsters who killed our son as long as they want to meet us at a particular venue. And initially, we as professionals, we didn't know exactly, so where do they want us to meet? And the meeting point was the cemetery. So they wanted to bring everyone in the cemetery where their boy was buried. And the encounter was extremely powerful because it wasn't a victim, a direct victim to talk to, right? because it was unfortunately dead. But the parents, they wanted to show, to show to the other youngsters the real effects of their actions, even though they were made in very, you know, stupid conditions because they were drunk, they didn't think of the repercussions of their actions, and a horrible thing just happened, and now they had to live for the rest of their lives with that. But the parents wanted to show them that, be careful. Sometimes during our fights and our behaviors, which are uncontrolled, we can end up in situations that are not desirable for anyone. And someone can be really injured and the pain can be unimaginable. And it was so emotional. It was their way of being part of a restorative encounter. It allowed for the perpetrators, right, the young, the youngsters who killed their friend, because they were basically friends, to see exactly the results, which again, it would have never happened if, I don't know, we just meet with them in the prison, we just talk about not engaging in irrational behavior and so forth. It's not as powerful as if we had to meet in a setting like that. And particularly when you have to face the other side of the story, the other side of the crime. These are a few examples that really stuck with me and showcased me that restorative justice can take multiple forms, can happen in multiple ways, depending on what the parties want. The examples that you shared were indeed very powerful and tragic. I'm so sorry that those children had to go through that. Probably the teen that killed their own friend wouldn't have this, the same reaction and understanding if they weren't included in a meeting that was right next to their friend's grave. What would it be your last words for us? I believe if it's one thing um, 
I like to say that, you know, it would be one thing that you can take from this podcast is that it's important to talk about restorative justice. It's important to increase awareness because in my profession, uh, I've never seen uh, a practice to be so efficient for both offenders and victims of crime, for both parties of each side of the conflict. The beauty of restorative justice is mostly that it's oriented towards the future. To look at the harm and suffering as the starting point of a shared story. Because we are here just sharing stories among ourselves, right? And unfortunately, when a tragedy happens, it's just the starting point to how our lives can look like in the future. And I'd like that more children and teens to hear about restorative justice and give it a go whenever that's available to them. So if it's one thing, uh, I like that very, very much to, to, to stay with you guys. Thank you very much for joining us today, Cecilia, uh, and for sharing all this fantastic and useful information. It was a pleasure talking with you, and it was a pleasure working on this fantastic uh, podcast with my colleague, Macholi. Dear listeners, if you liked this episode, please share it widely. And stay tuned to hear more voices of children and youth.